Welcome to the Level 10 Podcast. I'm Chris Gould, wholesaling and entrepreneurial expert. The Level 10 Podcast is focused on interviewing top entrepreneurs across multiple industries to identify what makes their businesses successful. Head over to level10official.com to learn about our courses, coaching, and much more. Welcome to the Level 10 Podcast. This is Chris Gould, your host. Today is going to be a solo podcast. I've been asked by some people, how did I build this business that I have now? A seven-figure wholesaling business that runs essentially without me operationally in the day-to-day. It's a pretty crazy story how it all came to be. Um, I'm not some tech guru. I'm not someone who went to Wharton Business School or has some crazy skill or talent that other people don't have. I'm just someone who has showed up every day for the last five-ish years and decided to put in some work each of those days. And, And some days much more work, some days much less work. But that's the theme you'll see here is that I kept going, especially when times were tough or I felt like giving up. And I actually did give up for a little while and come back to it. So my story starts out really with this adventure. I was in my first real job out of college. Before that, you know, dabbled in some acting, tried some entrepreneurial ventures that were very small and short-lived, tried to do some video production stuff. I mean, when I was unemployed at times, I would wash windows for people, do power washing. I would do gardening for $10 an hour and just be pulling weeds in people's house. And then finally, I accepted a position working at a market research company. And it was my first real job. It paid $50,000 a year. And that was huge for me at the time. This was back in probably 2014 time. And um, got in there. I started working really, really hard because I saw this as a great opportunity for me to grow and start making more money. And so I just fully applied myself to working at this job. And as I was busting my butt to try to get ahead, what I started to realize was that the people that worked really hard and the people that didn't work really hard, there wasn't a huge difference in the amount of money that they made from what I could see. There was sort of this cap where giving more effort than this certain amount, the returns were diminishing at that point. So that was pretty disheartening for me. And um, I started thinking about what are some other ways that I could maybe make money or do I want to keep showing up every single day to this job where I have to clock in and be watched and make sure that I don't leave early and I'm tracked on all of these uh, metrics in order to have my success be met. And those are all good and well things, but sometimes that works better for people than others. And for me, that just didn't really jive really well with me. So I got a year-end bonus for my company. And I think I had $2,000 in my bank account at that time. And so I thought, man, I've really got some serious money here. And, you know, I had lived paycheck to paycheck up until that point. I mean, I was living in a two-bedroom apartment in the hood in Los Angeles. And we had three roommates, me and two other guys. One of them lived in the living room. My rent was $600 a month. And I was basically spending my time going out, partying at that at that stage of my life, just kind of looking for the next thrill in this ho-hum, sort of monotonous 
everyday existence with this corporate job. But, you know, I had those golden handcuffs of, hey, it's paying my rent. I can kind of go do what I want, even though I'm cutting it close every month. But at least I have some sort of security. And I started doing some research online, seeing, can I get use this as a down payment or something like that to try to buy something? And I realized, of course, I couldn't buy anything with that much money. So with the 2000 left in my account, I started doing some research online and I found a course talking about wholesaling. And wholesaling is this concept where you get a house under contract to purchase for cash and then you assign your rights as the buyer to someone else for a fee. So it's sort of in the same neighborhood as flipping houses, but instead of actually buying it yourself, you sell your position as the buyer to someone else. So I thought this was really interesting. It's a way that you can get into real estate, not having a, as much cash. So I swiped my card for $1,500 and said, I'm just going to give this a shot, which that was a lot of money for me at that time. But I just knew I needed to do something different if I was going to start getting different results. So I started this course. It was a course by Sean Terry and flip to freedom. And I was obsessively going through this course. I mean, I couldn't even sleep. I was so excited about the prospect of doing this thing and making money and not just that, but creating a exit for myself from this corporate life into running my own business, which I knew in my heart is something that I always wanted to do. And, and I felt would probably be where I would feel the best, but I still had so many doubts. I mean, you're not smart enough. You're, this is too good to be true. There's no way that, that you personally could make this happen. You don't have that it factor, Chris. Those are the thoughts that ran through my mind. And you know, I didn't have a lot of wins under my belt at that time. I just kind of average student felt like I didn't have anything that was really special about me specifically, but I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And even though I, I seriously had big doubts, I just thought, you know what, let me just push ahead because the pain of staying the same was too great. I needed to do something different. And I think that's something really important to think about when you're trying to make a change. You have to have enough pain with staying the same that you make that change. And if it's not painful enough, most times we just don't change because it doesn't really matter that much to us. So I obsessively went through this course, learned everything I could, and sort of blindly started taking action. I had some direction, but the thing with those online courses is that they they give you a lot of information, but there's all these nooks and crannies of tiny situations that might happen that the course just doesn't cover. There's just too much complexity in real estate and in doing transactions. So I needed to just sort of learn through trial and error. So I started marketing to the entire United States using Google pay-per-click ads. And I had some leads come in and I used the information that I had learned from that course to come up with some offers. And eventually I was able to find a, a guy who had a house. He didn't want to deal with realtors. He didn't want to fix up the house and he just wanted to sell it for cash. So he was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I was in Los Angeles. We agreed to a price for the house. And based on some of the comps around there, I thought this is a really good deal. It's a good price that he was offering me. Let's say it was 250 that he was willing to sell the house at, and there were some comparable homes around there for 350. So I thought there's plenty of room here for someone to fix it up and, and then make some money on it. So 
We agreed to that price. I sent him a contract through UPS overnight. He signed it, overnighted it back to me, and I had my first contract ever. So next I started looking for some investors to partner with that would take over my position as the buyer for a fee. And I quickly realized that I hadn't run my numbers correctly. I had looked at some houses that were a little too far away. Maybe they were in a different subdivision. But regardless, my numbers just weren't solid. So I started to realize quickly, wow, this is going to be tough to get this done. So I called them and said, hey, looks like my numbers weren't run exactly right. But, you know, I still want to try to get this deal done for you. Can I have a little more time? And he agreed to that. I ended up finding some people that really wanted to move into this house. They were a family and they wanted to use an FHA loan to move into the house. And the thing with wholesaling is I signed a, a contract with the seller for cash to buy the house. You can't assign your rights as a cash buyer to someone that wants to use an FHA loan. But I didn't really understand that at that point. So I worked with this family. I worked with him. I explained the situation. He knew what was going on. And it took months and months for this to all come together. And about six months later from when I first spoke to him, finally this deal closed and I made $3,500. So a little more than $500 a month of my time involved in this. And I thought, you know what? I don't know if this is really worth it. Um, I had been marketing and I had another deal I'd gotten under contract while I was waiting for this first one to close. And I got that under contract. That one seemed more promising. And I had someone who had agreed to take over my position as the buyer on that house for a $5,000 fee. But the problem was that the seller of that home had inherited the house through probate. And um, there was a lot of legal issues that needed to be cleared up before we could actually close on the home. And so we had to wait for things to go through the courts. And, and I just wrote it off as this is never going to happen. The seller needed to do a bunch of things on her own, get some documents together. And I wasn't pushing her on that. I just thought, you know what, this is just not going to work. And this whole wholesaling thing is just kind of, it's not a good use of my time. So I resigned that, you know what, it was a good learning lesson and I wasted that money, but it is what it is. This just isn't worth it. It's too hard and I'm going to give up. And at that time, I had some good things going on at my corporate job that I was still working full time while I was doing the real estate thing on the side and when I would have time to, to get to it. So I just started focusing back on my corporate job and decided the entrepreneur thing just wasn't for me. It was just another proving point to me that I didn't have what it takes to start my own company, to be successful. I'm the type of person that gives up but it is what it is. I'll just sort of ignore that that's what happened and move on. So that's not a great feeling to have to sit with, but it was my situation. So for a while there, I just straight up gave up. And a few months went by and I was working a corporate job and I ended up winning an award for the, the best customer service rep of the year. So I was sort of a sales customer service mix. And I won this award and I got a big bonus, which I thought at that time was a big bonus. It was a $10,000 bonus, but after taxes, I had, it was a $6,000 bonus. So with the money I had in my bank account at the time, I probably had about $9,000 total. So I was doing, you know, pretty good for myself, as I thought, um, having some savings there. And I just got this big bonus. And I found out that that deal had finally closed that I was trying to do before, the one that was in probate. So I worked a whole year at my corporate job. And I got a $10,000 bonus that after taxes was really 6,000. 
And then I had this wholesale deal that I probably worked on for a couple of weeks and then just gave up on. And I made $5,000 on that. And I thought, wow, I made so much more money doing this wholesaling thing. When I look at how much effort did I have to spend on that wholesale deal versus what I had to spend at my corporate job to make that bonus. And I thought, you know what, I need to revisit this thing. So now I had some cash in my hand. And shortly after that, I got a call from a mentorship company. And they said, hey, you know, we've selected you as someone that we might allow to be in our mentorship program. And, and I realized now that was just a sales tactic. So they kind of make you have to fight to get in, which builds up the value. They say they don't accept everyone, but I, I believe they will accept anyone that has, you know, money to spend. But at that time, I didn't realize that. And I just thought, wow, this is a great opportunity. So that program, I think, was $9,000. So, I mean, that was so much money to me at that time. It was so much money. But I decided, you know what? It's either now or never. I'm going to go for it or I'm going to just stay on this corporate route and kind of work for the man and, and maybe that's my path. But I said, you know what? I got to give this a shot. So, again, I, I swiped my card and I paid that $9,000 or so for the course, for the mentorship program, I should say. And I started doing that. And I learned a lot. It was a lot of the same stuff that I had already learned, but it was a little bit more detailed, but I got a mentor and having a mentor is just so important. I would say it's probably the most important thing in terms of my success in this business of how I got to this point. Without a mentor, you don't have someone that you can tap on the shoulder and say, hey, what's the best way to handle this situation? You know, you can only go through YouTube Academy for so long trying to understand different things and how you should talk to people on the phone and logistically how to execute things. So the mentorship that came along with that $9,000 program was invaluable to me. And so I worked with one guy and it, it didn't go too well. And so I asked to have my mentor changed and I ended up working with a guy named Jerry Green, who now is the owner of the REI Sales Academy. But at that time, he was just starting out his um, mentoring career. And he was just a really nice guy, very humble and gave me a lot of great practical advice on how I can be successful doing this business. So over that time, I sent out some direct mail. I was able to put some deals together. And I think in my first year doing it with a mentor, I made something like $16,000, which to me was a lot of money. $16,000, you know, that felt like, man, I really am actually doing this and I'm making some money here. Like this is possible. I actually am not a failure. I'm not some loser that just tries things and gives up and fails. Like I can make this work. And if I put in time, good things happen. And that's what I started to notice. If I put in consistent action day after day, even if it's only a little bit, that is really worthwhile. And I started to see results from that way of, of thinking. Just put in a little work every day, if that. And if you can put in a lot of work, great. But sometimes you just can't because you kind of don't know where to go next. And that was a lot of when I started out realizing I just didn't know where to go next, but I would kind of try to do whatever I could to increase my, my, my business, increase the leads that were coming in and learn more. And so with that money that I had saved up, 
I realized I couldn't keep doing this full-time corporate job, especially now that I had won this award. I had more eyes on me and people uh, wanting to give me more responsibility, which which in turn meant meant more money for me. But it wasn't like game-changing money. It was, you know, a $5,000 salary increase, which when you spread it out over the year, I mean, maybe that's two, three hundred bucks more per month. It wasn't going to change my life. And so... I actually reached out to my aunt and I said, hey, I need someone to help me doing some sales, doing some cold calling. You know, I can't pay you much. I think I, I offered her 12 or $15 an hour. Um, I can't pay you much, but if you could help me out, that'd be really great. And she said she would absolutely love to do it. And so she started making calls for me and teeing up deals for me. So I, at that time, was trying to do everything on my own. And I found that it was really difficult bringing in Maryland to help me out with that was just such a game changer. But I still needed someone that I could trust on the ground that would go and look at houses because like I said, I had a full-time job. I couldn't go and look at properties myself. Not to mention by this time I had focused into another market because Los Angeles was so expensive. There's so many competitors there and you've got guys spending hundreds of thousands of dollars per month to find good deals. So me being someone with no money, there was no way I was going to be able to compete with these people. So I picked a less competitive but still good market in Indianapolis. And so I can't go see any properties because I'm in LA. The houses I'm looking at and that I'm doing deals on are in Indianapolis. So I found a local guy who said that he would be willing to partner up with me. I would get the deals teed up. He would go sign the contract and then he would find the buyer to assign our rights to. At this time, you know, there wasn't a very good process in place. We were kind of making it up as we went. It was kind of the Wild West, honestly. And he was driving all over creation, going to these appointments. A lot of them weren't qualified. People didn't really want to sell their house. And after a few months, the guy I was partnering with just burned out and said, I just can't do this anymore. It's just not worth it for me. So... I was left looking for a partner, and at that time I had heard about a, a local guy named Nathan who was doing a ton of deals and apparently was just a really hard worker, and I thought, this is my guy. This is my new JV partner. So I reached out to him. JV, by the way, means joint venture, which essentially means we're going to split whatever the profit is from whatever deals that we do together. So I reached out to him and said, hey, do you want to help me out with this? Do you want to help me build this thing up? And I'll do all of the sales side to get deals ready and I'll try to get contracts signed. And if I can't, you'll get them signed and then you'll get, you'll take pictures and see the houses and then work with the investors. So I got Marilyn teeing things up. I've got Nathan on the other side and I'm kind of orchestrating it as best I can uh, while having this full-time job. So the more that I'm working on my real estate business, my real passion, the less and less engaged I am in my corporate job. And I start trying to figure out how can I do the least amount possible to get the best result, to get the best numbers that I need. So because of that need I had to not be working 40, 50, 60 hours a week at my corporate job, I really needed to do about 20 at the corporate, 20 working on my real estate business. So I didn't feel good about the fact that I needed to do that because I needed to achieve my, my dreams. And I thought I owe it to these people that I need to hit my numbers. So I started getting really creative at my corporate job. I would sign three-year contracts with people and, and structure things in a way that 
would be long lasting in terms of keeping customers on board, but also wouldn't require a lot of my time. So I started kind of leading the way with this new way of doing business where I would structure long-term contracts. And so long story short, I ended up clearing up my schedule that I had, you know, only about 20 hours of work at the corporate job per week. And then I could spend all the rest of the time building up my real passion, the real estate business. So I thought that that could just work. And for a while it did. I joined another mentorship group and it was all full-time real estate investors. And I was that guy that was still in corporate America that was doing it as a side hustle. And even though I thought, wow, it's only 20 hours a week, I was making, you know, almost $100,000 just as a base salary at that uh, corporate job. I, I just started getting so annoyed with all of the inefficiencies in this corporate structure. And so I'm working my own personal business at this time. And I, when something doesn't work or isn't working correctly, I just immediately change the process and, and then it's better. And I was going through this couple year long process of like finding inefficiencies and making them better constantly. So I'm improving, 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 finding a problem, solving it, improving it. And then I go to this corporate world where I'm just a cog in the machine and I have no say in those things. But because I'm conditioning my brain to find inefficiencies and then fix them, I start speaking out a lot about like, hey, why are we doing it this way? Hey, we should do it this way. And... I started becoming a nuisance and an annoyance to some of the people that worked at that corporate company because I was just questioning authority. Why are we doing it this way? And it really created a rift. And um, there was a, a resentment that I think built up by these people that I was working for. And it just became almost unbearable for me to go through that ho-hum corporate sort of playing nice way of doing things when I was over here trying to build up my own business and really changing things rapidly for the better. So I ended up moving away from the office that I was going into every day. And, and I said, I just wanted to work from home. And they said that I had to come into the office. And I said, well, why do I need to come into the office? I like to work by myself. And it's hard for me to concentrate when there's five people within a two foot radius that are also on the phone. And they said, that's just how it is. You need to do it. And so I went in the next day and I asked my manager and the VP to come in. And I just said, guys, you know what? It's just not working for me anymore. And you know that I've been doing this real estate thing on the side. And if I don't give that a full shot, I'm just going to regret it for the rest of my life. So I have to give my resignation. At that time, my earnings were about 150000 a year from that company that I was working for. So I was walking away from a lot. I was walking away from a lot. And what I did at that time is I was 29 years old and I moved back in with my parents because I needed a little bit of security as I was going to try to build this thing out. The revenue at the wholesaling business was not very consistent yet. We'd have months where we wouldn't do any revenue. Then we would do 30000 in revenue. And I was splitting all that with my partner, Nathan. Plus, you have to pay taxes on that. So it wasn't generating a ton, but it was enough that I could get by. But I still wanted to have a bit of a cushion. So they welcomed me back with open arms. And, you know, there's nothing sexy about moving back in with your parents when you're 29 years old. And I actually turned 30 while I was living there with them. So I'm living at my parents' house. I'm 30 years old and I'm trying to get this business off the ground. Uh, I end up hiring uh, my sister. I hire a virtual assistant, but I have no processes in place. 
and things are just kind of crazy. Honestly, I'm making it up and trying to create structure, but that's just not my strong suit at that time, especially. And so I'm acting as what we call the integrator, which is the person who's hyper-organized, holds people accountable. And that's just really not me. I'm more of the visionary. The visionary is the one that creates the grand plan for the company, sees the vision of where it should go, the high level of how it should be organized. And then the integrator is the one that makes it happen. And I was wearing both hats at that time. So things were, were tough and at that time, my partner, Nathan, wanted to do more flipping houses. I wanted to focus more on the wholesaling side. I liked that it was low risk and fast, and he wanted the big check that took a lot longer. So we ultimately ended up having to part ways, and that was a really scary time for me because I thought, man, you know, at least with Nathan, I think we generated something like $160,000 in revenue in the year that we worked together. And I thought maybe there was some special thing that he brought that I just didn't have. And that if I broke off ties with him, I would fail. And, you know, kind of the, one of the themes running through this is that battle that I had and still have with fear constantly. This idea that I don't have what it takes, or maybe I just don't understand I'm missing something. And if I take that leap, I'm going to lose everything. I felt those feelings when I parted ways with Nathan and Every step of the way as I've grown, it's been this face-off with fear the whole way. So we part ways and the mentorship group that I was in at that time, it was Jerry Green's mentorship group. I am told by them, look, you need someone on the ground that you can rely on. You should go to Indianapolis, interview people and find someone. So I just said, okay, sounds good. I booked a place for I think a month there and I flew to Indianapolis and I just said, all right, I'm just going to figure this thing out. So I had a interview lined up at that time with a guy named Ron and he was retired and kind of coming out of retirement because he wanted to make some extra money and he agreed that he would he would work for me. So at that time I think we had $22,000 in the bank account which when you're paying, you know, Maryland, the VA, my sister was working for us at that time. I think she might have actually had our quit at that time. And now I'm bringing on this guy, Ron. I mean, there wasn't a lot of money for me to be paying people every month when it's only 20 grand. I mean, especially once you're going to have to pay for marketing, I'm paying my mentorship group. You know, that was pretty tight. And while I'm there and I just agreed to bring this guy, Ron, on board, my sister, Julie, called me and said, hey, I just read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I get what you're trying to do and I want to be a part of it. I don't want to work at my job anymore. She was also working at a large corporation and was sort of a cog in the machine. And so we talked about, you know, maybe you can work on commission or something like that. And that just wasn't going to work for her. So we went back and forth a bit and I just told her how I was nervous to agree to a, you know, a full salary for her. Everyone else that worked for me was commission based. And she said, do you want to keep hiring a bunch of idiots or do you want to hire someone that's smart? And I think she said, do you want to keep hiring three idiots at a time or do you want to hire one smart person? Because there's people along the way that I haven't mentioned that I hired and fired very quickly. And I was convicted when she said that. And I was like, you know what, if I want to build this, I need to bring people that are smart and reliable on board. So we agreed to a salary for her that scared me, frankly. And I knew it was make or break. Either I'm going to turn this thing into a business that generates actual revenue 
or I'm going <laughs> to crash and burn and these people are going to have to go find jobs elsewhere and I'm going to have to crawl back to my corporate company and beg them to hire me back. So I brought Julie on board. She quit her job and I gave her the book Traction, which is the EOS model, Entrepreneurial Operating System. And I just handed it to her and I said, you're going to be the integrator, implement this process. And she kind of looked at me a little bewildered and, and said, uh, okay, I'll figure it out. And the EOS model is basically a way to run any small business. It's super, super effective. And what it does is it helps you break your business down into different parts, uh, data, processes, vision, traction, people. And so you have these different pieces of the business that you keep an eye on at all times. Whereas, like I said before, it was the wild west when I was running things. Now I had someone to be the integrator, to be that very organized person, to make sure we're moving in the right direction, to track our numbers and to hold people accountable eventually. So Julie came on board, started implementing that. And we were just kind of figuring it out as we went along. What I found was that bringing Julie in, a young woman, and she's managing, um, Ron and some of those older people uh, that were working for us at that time. It was just difficult for them to be managed by her. You know, she's 29 at the time. And so, you know, that ended up coming to an end and I had to hire some new sales staff to come on board to work for us. And we, again, hired another higher level mentorship group. And at that time, you know, we had a $100,000 a month here, but then we might only do 20000 the next month. And then we might do 50000 and then we might do 30000 And so there was money coming in. But once I was paying everyone, paying for all of our bills, it wasn't a ton of profit. And so I thought, okay, if we're going to take this thing to the next level, like I need more logistical help at this point. I understand how to do sales. I know how to coach people to talk to folks on the phone, but like, how do we make a business that's scalable that we can pour gas on the fire and like really turn up the heat? So I joined the mastermind group with Tiffany and Josh High and their company now is called Results Driven. So we joined their small group and they have a system that they do where they have a follow-up specialist, so someone that combs through all the leads and ensures that people have motivation to sell, some sort of reason that they would want to sell their house at a discount to you as a cash buyer. So what's their motivating factor? Is there urgency? Do they need to make this decision now? Because if they don't, you're just going to waste a lot of time with them. And then getting that ballpark price from them. So the follow-up specialist does that, then they live transfer that call over to someone who's your closer, which is more of a traditional salesperson that takes them all the way through the process. So they helped us implement that. We all started agreeing on doing one script, all saying things one specific way. And so now I was able to have accountability amongst the salespeople. Whereas before, everyone kind of did it their own way. They said it their own way. And we just thought, okay, you know, fine. That's how each person is. Everyone's different. We should let them do things whatever way feels best to them. But the reality is when you let everyone do things a different way, it's hard to hold people accountable. You know, Jim says, why does Sarah say it that way? And Sarah says, well, that's how I do it. And I learned it from Timmy. And so when you have it like that, there's, it's really tough to, to hold people to a standard. So we kind of just blew everything up and said, okay, now here's what we're agreeing to. Here are the processes. We're all going to follow them. And if you don't follow them, 
we're going to have to have a serious conversation or you're not going to be able to work at this company anymore. So we set up all these processes. We all started saying the same things on the phone. We started doing things the same thing every single time. No more special circumstances where we skipped part of our process. We did our process every single time. And so once we started doing that, we were able to generate consistent revenue. And so coming into last year, we were able to do um, just under a million dollars in revenue, um, 968,000, I believe, in revenue, which was really good for us as a five-person company. And then this year, we've been able to hit 100 to 150,000 every single month with a team of six people. So small team, but we have that consistency. Now we can hold people accountable and hold them to a standard. So now we're looking at how we can scale this thing, expand into other markets. And that's our next big frontier. And that's how I built this business up. Um, as you can see, it's a long kind of winding journey to get there. There's no straight line to success. It's usually meandering with a few steps forward and a few steps back and a few steps forward again. And I think some of the biggest things I've learned from this is like, you don't have to be that smart to become successful at business. You just have to be willing to show up every day and, and put in some effort. I think the other thing I learned is that you don't have to grind out 100 hours a week in order to be successful. I think some people do that and that's fine. But to me, that's more of a unwillingness to delegate, a symptom of being unwilling to delegate. And from the beginning, I said, I want to be able to do this business from anywhere. I want it to run without me there. One of the things that I learned from a book called The Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki is he talks about the difference between being self-employed and being a business owner. And what he says is, if you go on vacation and the business keeps making money, you're a business owner. If you go on vacation for a month, and the business stops making money, you're just self-employed. So yeah, you might have a quote-unquote business, but you're just working for yourself. And I said, I don't want that to be the case. I want to be able to leave and have this thing generate money for me when I'm not actually there, you know, building the widgets myself, right? So building it up to that point takes strategy. You have to have that end vision in mind. If you're doing things within the business, that's fine right now. But you have to be thinking about how you can delegate those things away and how you can remove yourself. Because ultimately, if you're in the business every day, you can't work on the business. You can't see high level what is going on so that you can make the right moves. A lot of times I see guys that are just so deep in doing the business. They're a one or two man show and they just never really grow because they're unwilling to delegate away. And so they end up doing the same thing for years and years and they can make some money doing it. Absolutely. But there's kind of a cap that you can do when you're just a one or a two man show. Now, obviously there's exceptions and people doing millions of dollars that are just a, a very, very small operation with one or two people. But most of the time what I see is they get to that two, three, four, maybe even $500,000 mark, but they can't go any further and it's killing them. They have to be in there every day, grinding on the phones, doing the work. And so I think one of the best things that I ever did was let go of the vine. And that's something they talk about in traction is, you know, you have to be willing to trust that other people can do a good job. 
you don't want to be the genius with a thousand helpers. What I want to do and what I've been trying to build in my company, and I believe we're doing it successfully, I want to surround myself with people that have complementary skills. I want to hire people that are better than me at what they're being hired to do. I don't want to hire people that I'm better than them. And it's this ego play that some people have. I don't want that at all. I want people that are better than me at their job and that they're going to do a really great job at it. I don't want someone that I could just pick up and do what they're doing. And so with that, we've aimed for specialization within our company. And I think it's really helped us to create um, simplicity in terms of what people need to do for their role. So all that being said, uh, this year we're on track to probably do one and a half million. We were trying to do two million, but you know we just didn't really set things up correctly um, to have enough staff to do enough marketing, and you know that's okay. You learn as you go of what is reasonable and possible in terms of growth. We were trying to double our revenue without drastically increasing our manpower and without drastically increasing our marketing spend. We were just trying to do it operationally by optimizing things. And uh, we just found that that, you know, it wasn't possible to do that. But we're still growing this year. And our 10-year vision is that we're going to be generating $3 million per market from 10 different markets. And what we've done now is create that vision and share it with the people that work at our company so that they can have an idea of where they're going. They're not just in there cranking out deals, trying to get stuff under contract, trying to make things happen in the day. They are trying to build a career for themselves. And that's another big piece that I would share with people is just that, you know, if the folks that work for you don't see where the company is going clearly and have a view three, five, 10 years from now that they can look at and say, I can see myself being in the hierarchy of this company as it grows. If you don't have that, when things get tough, people will bail. People will bail. But when we set up that vision, the enthusiasm and the excitement that I saw people come into the office with was just so, so amazing. And what it does for me is it makes me say, okay, now I need to put my money where my mouth is and perform for these folks by setting up the company in a way that it is scalable and it is growable and that I can create multiple branches that they can be the managers of and they can be the leaders of. So that's where we're going as a company. Uh, That's how I got to this point. Uh, I'll just say along the way, I have had people try to steal deals from me. I've had people that bail out at the last minute, put me in a really difficult position. You're going to have challenges. And you just got to get comfortable with the fact that challenges are going to arise. Anticipate them. Assume that things are going to go wrong. And then if they don't, be excited. And then when they do go wrong, say, yeah, this is what I expected. But that doesn't mean you stop at that point. You have to realize that challenges are the exchange that you have to make in order to have your own business, to make more money than the average person working at a company, to create additional freedom. To me, trading challenges and some headaches and some frustration for what I now have, which is unlimited time freedom and now moving towards total financial freedom, it's totally worth it. So if you're on the fence about, do I want to start my own business? Do I not want to start my own business? Do I want to do this, go down this difficult path? You know, what I would ask you is just how bad do you want it? And is there enough pain to stay the same? And if there's not, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense for you to go through it. But for me, I just had this deep gnawing belief that I was destined for something greater. 
that I had more potential. I had more to give. And I just couldn't sit there living my life, not giving that thing a shot. And now looking back, I'm so grateful that I did. And like I said at the beginning of this, I'm not some super special person that figured out this secret sauce. There is no secret sauce. You got to show up. You got to commit to pressing forward when the challenges arise. And then ultimately, you just have to have faith and trust. So that's my message for today. I hope that someone out there listening to this found this valuable and it helped you to press on with your business or maybe it convinced someone to get started when they've been hesitant in the past. So if you want to find more information about me and some of the offerings we have, you can go to level10official.com. But my name is Chris Gould. Thank you for listening. Go out there, take it to the next level. Thanks for listening to the Level 10 Podcast. You can head over to level10official.com to learn more about our courses, coaching, and everything else that we offer. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, and share with your friends. Go out there and take it to the next level.